Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in Greetings, saints. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, we thank you so much, too, Lord, for making this possible. And thank you, Lord, for uh, letting your anointing uh, show the power of your word, the truth of your word. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to study Sodom's destruction is prosperous ease. Yep. Calhoun's uh, mouse utopia experiments are now coming true for humanity as self-annihilation, infanticide, and gender distortions become commonplace. And I'm going to share an article and make some comments. This article or articles are by Mike Adams, 112822. And I'm going to make some comments in here, and you're going to see this. What he is repeating here is so important. Uh, it is a proof of what God says in his word. And this article obviously may contain statements that reflect the opinion of the author and not necessarily myself. Uh, and uh, there's a picture here of uh, Calhoun and his experiment. And this is, of course, from Natural News. In the late 1960s, a scientist named John Calhoun created a mouse utopia where populations of mice would enjoy everything they needed. Essentially, without effort, unlimited food, water, living space, population growth, without predators, and so on. It started with eight mice who began to reproduce quickly, enjoying their newfound utopia with unlimited resources. Within four years, however, the population had become extinct through self-annihilation, even though all of the resources it needed for survival were readily available, including ample space to live. Well, my thought is, uh, what about the thousand years of peace and prosperity falsely claimed by those who do not respect God's Word? The book of Revelation, which supports the results of these findings, and which they reject, has a perfect numeric pattern in it, like the rest of the 66 books, and no other books have ever been found with this complete and perfect pattern. It's God's signature. Yeah. Okay, what happened to Calhoun's mice? He repeated the experiment multiple times using mice and rats. Each time the outcome was the same. Extinction within 1,588 days. Populations began to collapse at around 560 days for reasons discussed below. 
And what we are witnessing in the world today, right now, with the self-inflicted annihilation of humankind, almost perfectly reflects observations from Calhoun's mouse utopia experiments, except now it's happening in the world of humans. Well, we know Ecclesiastes 3 and 18 and 19 says, I said in my heart it is because of the sons of men that God may prove them that they may see that they themselves are but as beasts. Get this. That's unborn again man is a beast. Okay. Uh, for that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them. As the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath or spirit, by the way. And man hath no preeminence above the beast. We're talking about unregenerate man. No preeminent above the beast. For all is vanity. Amen. Well, as Jesus said, man must be born again and believe his word to escape his own fallen nature. Filmmaker Mike Freeman has made a, a film about these experiments. It's called Critical Mass. And you can learn about it at criticalmassfilm.com. Amen. Uh, a bioethicist named Jan Kuban has written extensively about this on a site called physicsoflife.pl. There, there on a page dedicated to Calhoun's experiment, he describes the Calhoun experiments as one of the most important in human history. And he delves into the meaning of all of this for humankind. On this page, and I'll put a link here, he describes the phases of life and annihilation through which the mouse utopia passed. Here's a summary. Phase A, day one, strive period. Establishing territories and making nests, first children are born. Amen. Phase B, day 105, exploit period. Rapid population growth, social hierarchy established, offspring higher in those with social dominance. Phase C, day 315, stagnation phase. Population growth slows, males become feminized, females become aggressive, taking over roles of males, in other words, Jezebel's advance, okay? Violence becomes common, social disorder skyrockets, male mice begin to assume female roles, uh, in other words, mouse transgenderism, uh, Mouse-slash-rat homosexuality begins to emerge. Pedophilia grows rampant as they begin mounting the young. Fertility falls in females. Mothers reject their young. Phase D, day 560. Death phase. Population collapses. No young surviving. No longer any conception, 
Non-reproducing females resort to eating, grooming, and sleeping. No interest in socialization, no social skills learned by remaining survivors, no ability to be aggressive, which means no ability to defend their young or their nests, avoidance of all stressful activities, including anything resembling competition. Uh, we know about that. Preoccupation with grooming and physical attractiveness. Inability to navigate challenges of the real world. Only the outer appearance of being superior, but lacking cognitive and social skills. Totally unable to reproduce, raise young, or com compete for anything. So, so utopia leads to extinction. As uh, Cuban writes, John Calhoun's collaborators' conclusions, the larger the population, the less care a mother gives to her uh, nest and young. Non-academic conclusions drawn by people educated in life. The principal factor is the lack of social education in the young. Another, due to the abundance of food and water and lack of predators, there was no need to perform any actions to acquire resources and or avoid danger. So the young have no opportunity to see such actions learned. So bad pupils often lose their lives and later use them effectively. Okay, utopia. When one has everything at any moment for no expenditure, uh, declines responsibility, effectiveness, and awareness of social dependence, and finally, as Dr. Calhoun's study showed, uh, leads to self-extinction. Contrarily, difficult conditions instigate better coping mechanisms for the population, leading to its growth, strengthening, and reinforcement. Lawrence W. Reed, uh, writing for FEE.org, adds the following observation on all of this in an article about the rise of the welfare state. A link will be here. The turning point in this mouse utopia, Calhoun observed, occurred on day 315, when the first signs appeared of a breakdown in social norms and structure. Aberrations included the following, females abandoning their young, males no longer defending their territory, and both sexes becoming more violent and aggressive. Deviant behavior, sexual and social, mounted with each passing day. The last thousand mice to be born tended to avoid stressful activity and focused their attention increasingly on themselves. In other words, total selfishness as we see today. We are seeing the same thing in today's human societies. Many scientists have dismissed any link between Calhoun's mouse utopia experiments and human society. But in the years since these conclusions were drawn, 
human society has come to strikingly resemble the self-annihilation tendencies of the mice. For example, in human society today, we note that socialism slash progressivism <laughs> teaches children that competition is bad. Oh, one of the effects. Uh-huh. Everyone's a winner in the mantra of our time, and this creates an environment where children are not challenged. In fact, it is no longer even socially acceptable to subject children to any challenges at all. Students are selected into colleges merely based on their skin color or sexual orientation, or corporations hire people based on precisely the same traits, regardless of merit. As Cuban writes, the principal conclusion of Calhoun's experiments is as follows. The lack of challenges gradually spoils the behavior of subsequent generations of a population. This degeneration is inevitable and leads to eventual self-extinction, unless they're born again. Due to the lack of challenges, the extinction of a population is inevitable. It lasts several generations, but is inexorable, meaning, of course, impossible to stop or prevent. This is precisely the path being pursued by left-wing socialism slash communism slash collectivism. This also highlights the dangers of a universal basic income, UBI or welfare-slash-stimulus giveaways. When you give resources to populations without any apparent scarcity or competition, those populations raise generations of offspring that are incapable of functioning in society. Yes, this reminds us of Johnson, President Johnson's great welfare society, which ruined a whole generation in this way and broke down marriage. Yeah, We are seeing all the other signs of the mouse utopia collapse in modern human society as well. Infanticide and abortion, even the celebration of killing the young. Rampant homosexuality and transgenderism. Pedophilia and exploitation of the young by older members of the society, kind of like the deep state Satanists like trafficking children and pedophilia, right? Increased violence, collapsing socialization skills, exacerbated, ex- <laughs> exacerbated uh, by masks and lockdowns, obsession with self-grooming behaviors, as we see demonstrated by today's youth when it comes to selfies, social media presence, etc. Collapse in fertility of both males and females, spontaneous abortions, stillbirths, inability to cope with adversity, bullying of certain individuals in the population, withdrawal from social circles, If these mice had guns, there would have been mass mice shootings, just like we have today, huh? Well, our rats have vaccines and wars and, yes, mass shootings, right? 
Complete withdrawal from biological reproduction as transgenderism, pedophilia, violence, and lunacy takes over. Ooh, we're there. We are there. Does any of that sound familiar? It sounds like every left-wing city in Western society. What the mice demonstrated in the 1960s, left-wing humans are living out in the 2020s. The only real difference is that a generation of mice takes about 50 days to play out, while a generation of humans takes about 20 to 25 years. That's the only difference. In summary, population itself is not the problem. Collectivism and the welfare state is what will lead to humanity's self-annihilation. See, they think population is a problem. We just need to kill a lot of people like the Georgia Guidestones made uh, a law, right? As economist uh, Thomas Sowell uh, stated, the welfare state shields people from the consequences of their own mistakes. Oh, my gosh. Allowing irresponsibility to continue and to flourish among ever wider circles of people. Food abundance has made humanity weak privileged and unable to rise to any real challenge. Part of the shock here is how easy food availability and gluttony has led to the weakening of the human race. Where food and other resources are readily available, children don't learn about competition, scarcity, skills, socialization, or or achievement. Or I might add, farming. (laughs) It is scarcity that results in learning and leadership. And without scarcity, there is only gluttony, apathy, and collapse. Amen. Notably, the mice never ran out of physical space. Well, so this wasn't an overpopulation problem per se. Well, they... They bragged about bringing down the population to 500 million on the Georgia Guidestones, right, till they were destroyed. It was self-annihilation stemming from the collapse of the culture of the mice. This was achieved in modern-day society by removing God and the Bible from schools. This is my note here by the Supreme Court back in 1963, which eliminated prayer and prayer and and Bible reading from schools. They no longer valued competition, achievement, or resources. They became lazy, apathetic, self-obsessed, and distorted through what we would now label LGBTQ behaviors or collectivism tendencies ultimately leading to the total collapse of any viability of offspring. Zero population was the inevitable result. Yep, like uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. These mice were prisoners in a large physical structure where they were granted unlimited resources. Today, 8 billion human beings are living in a prison planet which provides large amounts of food and free money, but where human culture and fertility are rapidly collapsing. 
Okay, here's a Mike Adams' summary of the Calhoun experiment. Uh, 11-29-22. And this was transcribed for us by Terry McGinley. This podcast may contain statements that reflect the opinion of the author. And uh, my notes would be in red again. Um, Mike Adams said, This is a special report on the Calhoun experiments. And let me say, beginning at the 22-14 minute mark, and the mouse utopia revelation about what's happening with humanity right now. I've uh, studied this research a little bit more, and I'm shocked at the details that I've uncovered because it paints a near-perfect roadmap of the downfall of human civilization right now, Mike said. I'm going to share with you an overview of some of the details that were observed in these mouse populations in the 1960s, including, by the way, transgenderism, infanticide, pedophilia, grooming, all the things that we are seeing today in human society. This means that the downfall has begun. We are just a couple of generations away, probably from the complete collapse of human civilization with no live births. At least that's what happened in the mouse population. Maybe it won't happen to all human beings, but the Calhoun experiments, of course, if God hadn't stopped things, um, all mankind would have been wiped out, right? That's what it says. That's what the Word says. And uh, the Calhoun experiments were written up in the Smithsonian Magazine and published in mainstream science journals of the time. And essentially, Calhoun built an artificial world for these mice, and he did it with rats also. But most of his experiments were with mice. He built a kind of a fort for them. It was pretty large and it had unlimited food and water and no predators, and also essentially all unlimited amount, an unlimited amount of living space, in other words, housing or resting or for mice, right? And into this environment he placed, to start with, eight mice. And then these eight mice, having unlimited food and water, and no predators began to reproduce in an astonishing rate. Now, if you know anything about mice, they're able to reproduce very, very quickly, and the female can get re-impregnated immediately after she gives birth, so they can produce a lot of mice very quickly. So, what happened was, it went into a growth phase, but then this whole thing went into collapse after around 580 days. Well, um, a generation for mice is about 50 days, and a generation for humans is about 25 years, I would say. And, well, 580 days to collapse percent by 50 days per mouse generation is 11.6 generations for mice. 11.6 generations times 25 years per human generation equals 290 years to collapse if you consider 
that the Industrial Revolution began in earnest by 1830s and the 1840s in Britain and soon spread to the rest of the world, including the United States. And you take our current year of 2022 and subtract 290 years, it brings us back to 1832. So we can see how the beginning of the Industrial Revolution was the beginning of our human societal collapse. And once God, uh, the Bible, and prayer were removed from society and schools in 1963, the degeneration of the population began to accelerate exponentially. And so he goes on to say here, that in any case, there was a massive growth phase. Lots of reproduction population was doubling very quickly. Lots of mice in this habitat, so to speak. And then it went into a stagnation phase where birth rates slowed down because they began to witness some aberrant uh, type of behavior, uh, perversion. In this phase, which is, uh, let's call it uh, the stagnation phase, maybe the perversion phase, uh, they started to witness female rats taking over the roles of males. So there was a masculinity factor in the females, and then many males became more feminized. Oh boy, we're seeing that, aren't we? The Jezebel's taken over and the Ahab's, uh, you know, submitting. Some of the males were isolated from the social construct of the mouse community, so they were loners. Some of them were bullied by other male mice. And then there were also gay mice that were transgender mice, and there was pedophilia. So as all these things started to come out, they were associated with increased acts of violence and a lack of socialization skills. Now remember, what was happening during all of this is that the newborns, the youth generation, did not have to compete for anything. So it was kind of like in the modern world today where they say everybody's a winner and we're not going to compete, and there's no losers. And everybody got unlimited food and water and no predators. There was no competition. It was pure socialism or communism. Basically, it was a welfare state. Want to, I want to make uh, you understand one thing. There is a difference between Christians not competing with one another, who have a born-again spirit and the world doing it. Okay. So, uh, another note I would like to add is that we can see in Russia and Cuba how the communist experiment failed once any incentive to innovate or prosper due to hard work was removed from the population. Yep. People need that. Okay. Now, there is a communism that works among Christians because of love and because of a gift of a new creation from God. But that doesn't work with the world. And that's what this is pointing out. So, he went on to say, you had a mouse welfare state where no one had to work or compete in order to have food and water and reproduce. 
And so, in that phase, they saw a lot of transgenderism and gay mice, and the attempted mounting of the youth or child mice. So there was pedophilia, and so on. And in the final stage, which is the collapse stage, the population of all the mice in the aggregate began to decline quite rapidly. In this phase, there were no more live births. The mothers abandoned the children, like you're seeing happening today. They did not raise them. They would get pregnant, and they would give birth and just abandon them, or they would be carrying a child, and they would drop it accidentally, and then would just leave it and move on. Mm-hmm. This is similar to what we see today with abortions, infanticide, left-wing operations celebrating the mass murder of children, not caring about children celebrating abortions, etc., In addition, this phase saw more violence and the total collapse of socialization skills among the mice. Since they did not have to compete for resources, they did not have to really sort out through social hierarchies who was dominant or who had control over which resources, and so the social dominance of hierarchies collapsed and they ended up with these subpopulations of female mice that Calhoun called the beautiful ones. The beautiful ones spent all day doing only three things. Number one, they weren't interested in sex or reproduction whatsoever. They had no children. Number two, They would spend all of their time eating and self-grooming, and number three, they would sleep. So, they would groom themselves, which is something that all animals do to some degree, so that their fur looked fine. They looked healthy. They looked like leaders. They looked like successful members of the mouse society. Mice are mammals. And they have very complex societies, by the way. So they would groom themselves in order to look this way, and and that goes along with what we see in our society today. We have a lot of youth that are focused entirely on selfies and how they look and outward appearances and posing for the selfies and posing on Facebook and filming their videos, like on TikTok. Uh, with their theatrical staged ap- apartment that looks like, oh, we have fashion handbags and we have been traveling and life is so awesome and it's all an act. Okay. Well, that's what the female mice uh, were doing. They were interested in Excuse me, they weren't interested in sex, they weren't interested in reproduction, and in fact, they did not reproduce whatsoever. There were zero live births in this phase, and the population began to just die off. And then eventually, it did completely die off. All of the mice died. And what's shocking is that the mice died even when they had unlimited food and water and space and no predators. So importantly, this 
was not an issue of overcrowding where they ran out of space to live. Well, that's what the elite would like you to believe, and they want you to be the ones to sacrifice this earth to them, right? That did not happen. There was still plenty of space to live. So anybody saying, well, this is what happens when you have overpopulation, that's actually not what was going on, and it's not what's going on today. So what was really happening was there was no more competition, and then the youth generations never had to learn how to overcome obstacles. They never had to learn how to find food or how to compete for food or how to make food, right? They never had to learn how to navigate social hierarchies in order to maintain control over certain resources, for example. They never had to negotiate with each other or trade with each other. So, in other words, social interdependency and cooperation, right? Or even really tolerate each other. And so social skills collapsed. Food harvesting skills collapsed. And um, those skills never got passed down from one generation to the next. And ultimately, all the remaining living mice had no skills whatsoever to survive. Not even when everything was given to them. So, in this welfare state of mouse utopia... As it was called, the collapse happened because everything was free. And that led to a cultural collapse of the mice where knowledge and information was not getting passed down from generation to generation. Well, uh, you can include biblical principles here, too, because without the moral absolutes of the Bible as a foundation of societal behavior— There's no moral compass or spiritual anchor for the souls of humanity. And we know, whatsoever a man sows, so shall he reap. Mm -hmm. So this is exactly what is happening, he goes on to say, in our universities right now, where America's youth are being taught victimhood, liberalism, progressivism, blue hair, nose rings, transgenderism, but no actual knowledge of how to navigate society or produce anything to do anything useful. So every bullet point that came out in this study from Calhoun is what we are seeing in society right now, today, in real time. Every single thing, infanticide, abandonment of children, transgenderism, females taking on male roles, increase in violence, total lack of socialization skills. I mean, look at what COVID did to our children. Lockdowns, masks, social distancing that only made it worse. So we've got an entire generation of children right now that have virtually no social skills whatsoever. You know, it's kind of like the deep state read all of this, right, this experiment right here, and they're doing their best to bring it to pass. <laughs> because they, they don't want popul, they don't want population explosions. And of course, their father, the devil, uh, wants to take as many out as possible. So, I'm going to continue. And importantly, they do not believe in competition. 
So you can even go to students in today's colleges and business schools. They do not believe in competition. They think that everyone's a winner and that equality means equal outcomes and that everything needs to be adjusted to make sure that they're, they're equal outcomes and demanding that anybody be promoted based on merits. Well, that's racist. How silly can you get? You can't have uh, merit or uh, meritocracy where everything is based on equality, which is what the mice had in the mouse utopia, and then they all died because they lost the skills of navigating reality. Again, this problem is uh, magnified in the world where they don't have the morality and the nature of Jesus Christ. Okay, they need the things that are spoken about here. Uh, the The Christians don't need that. They are motivated by something entirely different. God, right? He went on to say, they lost the skills of how to adapt, how to learn, how to pass along knowledge, how to teach their children, and so on. Well, this is also why the plans of the alliance or the white hats of universal equality and universal basic income and unlimited money supplies ushered in with the GCR is not a sustainable outcome for humanity because as long as there is a devil and wicked men who serve him, peace and prosperity for the masses is an impossibility. God judges wickedness. Okay? And a lot of scientists saw this, and some predicted, well, this is going to be the doom and gloom for humanity. But they misinterpreted it. They thought that this is about overpopulation and population control, that this is due to overcrowding, and that if we have uh, too many people in one area, the overcrowding drives everybody insane, and then everybody dies. (laughs) But that is a misinterpretation. Again, it wasn't overcrowding. It was because everybody was getting welfare. And then, over time, generation after generation, they lost the skills. So, what do we see in society today? Uh, What did we see with COVID? Stimulus money, free money, universal basic income. Here, everybody's going to get money for free. That's the same thing as the mice utopia handing out free food and water and and generation after generation in humans, entire families lose the ability to function in a society and all they do is raise children and then in some cases just murder them or abort them or abandon them just like the mice. Mm-hmm. And what's shocking to me to consider in all of this is that those mice didn't feed their children poisoned food laced with pesticides and herbicides and heavy metals, and they didn't have chemtrails, and they didn't have hormone disruptors in uh, the food packaging containers and all of that. They didn't have heavy metals in the water supply, but today that's what humans are subjected to. So it's far beyond the insanity of having everything provided and having no 
predators just sitting around eating and grooming and sleeping. Far beyond that, that humanity is being mass poisoned. Yes. So, when I looked at this study, this gave me a lot of new perspective about the collapse of human civilization as it is unfolding in front of us in real time. It finally allowed me to understand that the global collapse of civilization can happen solely from cultural changes and that they stem from things being too easy. Well, we know that Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And we know in the leftist cities that they don't like to punish crime, so crime just skyrockets. And uh, they turn them loose. Their judges turn them loose. The the uh, the rat populations in these leftist cities are doing exactly what they did. So he went on to say, from humanity having too much readily available food, frankly, and easy money, stimulus money, low cost money, which is what the Fed does with their money printing, all of these handouts they actually destroy humanity. The welfare state universal basic income, stimulus money, all of it actually cripples humanity and causes the downfall, which is their plan. They know this. Okay? And in the signs that we're seeing with transgenderism, the LGBT agendas, the pedophilia, the child grooming, the abortions, the infanticide, child mutilations, all of that, This is well known to occur in society as they are losing their minds and collapsing. Yep, just like in Sodom and Gomorrah in the Roman Empire, right? And he went on to say, And they reproduced this scenario in mice over and over and over again. Did you ever think that? You thought this was just a human thing. You thought this was just a Satanism thing. And it isn't. There's uh, there's a lot of cooperation with Satan in the earth. There's a lot of children of Satan in the earth, so on and so forth, right? So he goes on to say there's more to it than that. This is a twisted perversion of cultural insanity that's seizing our modern society. And these things have been seen before throughout human history as well. By the way, the Roman Empire, for example... And some of this took place in Aztec and Mayan empires and so on. Throughout human history, this has been seen before, and it's happening again. Yes. Wow. Well, Ecclesiastes 1 and 9 says, That which hath been is that which shall be, and that which hath been done is that which shall be done. There is no new thing under the sun. And there's going to be a mass die-off because of this, he says. Uh, Well, we know there is a mass die-off because of this, and it will get worse according to Book of Revelation, right? He went on to say, We may only be one generation away from the mass extermination of the human race. 
it would actually happen if God permitted it. Uh, we know the thousand years of peace is also a thousand years of uh, of uh, humankind uh, being under the rules of God. Okay, and it uh, he goes on to say, and it's already in play. I mean, we are watching the last stage right now, and so if you think about it, agricultural mechanization of the Leveraging of farming equipment in order to produce a lot of food artificially with very little effort, supplanted by fossil fuels, of course. This actually created a society of food abundance that is going to lead to the downfall of human society. Isn't that interesting? Well, that unnatural food abundance creates collapse after a few generations. And we're there now, because how many youth in America today can grow food or even recognize where food comes from, or even know what garden seeds are or have even worked in a garden? And now, of course, they're they're uh, making the seeds that are duds uh, in order to destroy populations through famine. Yeah. He went on to say, once you lose Contact with food, and you lose contact with the process of having to struggle to acquire it, then you lose your humanity. For the world of mice, you lose your mousehood, mouseness, your mouse sanity, or whatever. And uh, humans have far more toxins and poisons and biological assaults against them today compared to the mice. For example, humans are being injected with mRNA vaccines. These mice weren't injected with that. And mRNA is transhumanism and infertility and fibrous clots and everything that's killing humans today. It's hardly a day goes by that I don't pass a funeral procession out on the main highway here. It's astounding. And what we used to hear in a week of sirens, uh, of ambulances, we hear in a day now. Okay? So they are doing it. And, and so far, nothing's done anything to stop them. And the book of Revelation tells us it's going to continue. Because if you take the shots today, uh, within a few years, you're gone. So the collapse of human populations, he says, is vastly accelerated compared to the collapse of the mouse populations in the mouse utopia experiments. Pray for America. Don't sell your soul to the Satanists and the pedophiles, and that's for sure. Yep, I agree. Well, I just want to share a few words with you that the Bible explicitly states that consequences for prosperous ease... Um, or sodomy. <laughs> okay, Ezekiel sixteen forty nine through 50. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, prosperous ease was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Abomination, of course, is in one of God's most common 
statements is concerning um, perversion. Ecclesiastes 8.11, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Yes, if they can get away with it in a leftist society like these leftist cities do, if they can get away with it, they'll go out and do it again. Yep. Well, Romans 1, 18-32 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hinder the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known of God is manifest in them, for God manifested it unto them, including these experiments. Okay? For the invisible things of him since the creation of the world are clearly seen, being perceived through the things that are made, even his everlasting power and divinity, that they may be without excuse, because that knowing God, they glorified him not as God, neither gave thanks, but became vain in their reasonings, and their senseless heart was darkened. Yes, it is. Professing themselves to be wise, many professors uh, in these schools are teaching the poor young how to be leftists and communists and so on and so forth, and pedophiles and on and on and on. So, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God for the likeness of the image of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed beasts and of creeping things. Wherefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts unto uncleanness, that their bodies should be dishonored among themselves, for that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Well, lost mankind is doomed, according to this experiment. And, of course, we know that. Uh, but uh, born-again people are uh, marched to a different tune. And I'm talking about truly born again of the Word of God, not just accepting Jesus as their personal Savior and going on with their life as usual. That's not born again, okay? So God gave them up in their lusts unto their uncleanness, that they should dishonor among themselves their bodies, and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And for this cause, God gave them up unto vile passions, for their women changed the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working unseemliness, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was due. And even as they refused to have God in their knowledge, uh, God gave them up unto a reprobate mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all un righteousness, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, malignity, whispers, backbiters, hateful to God, insolent, haughty, boastful inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, unmerciful, who knowing the ordinance of God that they that practice such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but also content, uh, consent with them that practice them. Well, amen.
And Second Peter three three through nine um, says, knowing this first, that in the last days mockers shall come with mockery, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For from the day that the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And for this they willfully forget that there were heavens from of old, and an earth compacted out of water, and amidst water, by the word of God, by which means the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished, but the heavens that now are, and the earth, by the same word, have been stored up for fire, being reserved against the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But forget not this one thing, beloved, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord's not slack concerning His promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering to you, not wishing that any should perish, uh, but that all should come to repentance. 1 Timothy 6, 9-10 through 10 says, But they that are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts, such as drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some reaching after have been led astray from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows, just as we saw the mouse experiment, right? James 5, 1 through 6. Come now, ye rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and your silver are rusted, and their rust shall be for a testimony against you, and shall eat your flesh as fire. You have laid up for your yourselves treasure in the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who mowed your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth out, and the cries of them that reaped have entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived delicately upon the earth and taken your pleasure, and you have nourished your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and you have killed the righteous one he doth not resist you. Second Timothy 3, 1-17 says, But know this, that in the last days grievous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of self, lovers of money, um, boastful, haughty, railers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, implacable, slanderers, without self-control, fierce, no lovers of good, traitors, headstrong, puffed up, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding a form of godliness but having denied the power thereof. From these also turn away, for of these are they that creep into houses and take captive silly women uh, laden with sins, led away by divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And even as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also withstand the truth. Men corrupted in mind, reprobate concerning the faith, 
but they shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be evident unto all men, as theirs also came to be. But thou didst follow my teaching. Now here's where it turns around for God's people, obviously. Uh, We have seen uh, these uh, leftist perverts in both the church, which we call the faction, and in the government, which we also call a faction. And uh, faction is great among them, and that's when they begin killing everybody, each other off, right? But for God's people, it says, But thou didst follow my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, patience, persecutions, sufferings, had, th- had things to overcome, right? What things befell me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors shall wax worse and worse, just like in the mouse experiment. Deceiving and being deceived, but abide thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And from a babe thou hast known the sacred writings which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Every scripture inspired of God is also profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. They don't like correction, right? For instruction which is in righteousness. They don't like righteousness, okay? Uh, That the man of God may be complete, furnished completely unto every good work. Oh, thank you, Father. And Jude said, Beloved, while I was giving all diligence to write unto you of our common salvation, I was constrained to write unto you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered unto the saints. you got to go back to that. Now, you can't make a modern-day religion expect the same results. For there are certain men kept in privily, even they who were of old written of beforehand, unto this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire to put you in remembrance, though you know all things once and for all, that the Lord, having saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that believed not. Believe it. And the angels that kept not their own principality, but left their proper habitation, he hath kept in everlasting bonds under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, having in like manner with these given themselves over to fornication and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example suffering the punishment of eternal fire. Oh, don't forget this. Yet in like manner, these also in their dreamings defile the flesh and set it not dominion. Uh, Yep, like the women taking over dominion from the men and the men giving up their dominion to the women, and that was part of the perverse uh, cycle. And rail at dignities. Yes, that's what they do, and persecute and kill dignities, right? But Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed not, uh, disputed about the, the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. 
But these rail at things whatsoever they know not, and what they understand naturally, these like creatures without reason, in these things are they destroyed. Woe unto them, for they went in the way of Cain, and ran riotously in the error of Balaam for hire, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are they who are hidden rocks in your love feasts when they feast with you, shepherds that without fear feed themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn leaves without fruit, twice dead and plucked up by the roots. Yep, remember uh, three out of four of the people mentioned by Jesus in the parable of the sower fell away from the word that they heard, right? Wild waves of the sea foaming out their own shame, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness has been reserved forever. And to these also Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their works of ungodliness which they have ungodly wrought and of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, showing respect of persons for the sake of advantage. Yes, in John 12 and 48, He that rejecteth me, receiveth not my sayings, hath one that judges him. The word that I spake, the same shall judge him in the last days. Yes, and it's happened. Well, I know I went fast through this, but you can go through it a little slower and uh, think on it and look around you. It's happening. Thought Father, uh, thank you that your people are withdrawing from this society into your society and uh, growing in your ways where there is peace and joy and righteousness and equality and uh, giving up of um, of things for one another because of love instead of buying and selling their giving and receiving. Oh, praise be to God. Lord, we thank you for your society that you have taught us to live in, and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, saints. And Michael's going to come and share something with you too. So, Father, bless him and bless those that are listening. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Father. Amen. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word that keeps us standing strong in you. And I thank you, Father, that we don't have to worry about anything as long as our mind is renewed by the word of God that tells us that we have to, that we can be in you and have no anxiety, no fear of what the, what's coming ahead. And Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, anoint us today, Lord, to give out this message of great hope and faith to believe you, Lord. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to talk about learning to be bold in Christ. You know, we've got some shakings that are are here. I believe they're almost here, if not here already. 
Hebrews 12 and 25 says this, See that ye refuse not him that speaks. For if they escaped not when they refused him that warned them on earth, much more shall not we escape who turn away from him that warns from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more will I make to tremble not the earth only, but also the heaven. And this world, this word, yet once more signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that have been made, that those things which are not shaken may remain. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace, whereby we may offer service well-pleasing to God with reference and all. For our God is a consuming fire. And real soon you're going to see some things you never thought you'd see in this world. But you know, the Lord doesn't want us to be troubled. It's part of his plan, and he is a sovereign God. Ephesians 1 and 11 says, Who works all things after the counsel of his will. And the word tells us also in John chapter 3 verse 27, that a man can receive nothing except it have been given him from heaven. And then Daniel 4 and 35. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Folks, he reigns in the heavens and on earth and we can trust him. These shakings are coming in order to bring a whole bunch of folks into the kingdom. But we don't want to be anxious or fearful concerning these things. We all want to be at peace, and we want to be used of God when these things happen. And we're totally useless to God if there's anxiety and fear in our life. You can't be used of the Holy Spirit when you're in that state, and the devil knows it. But those who walk by faith, those who draw close to the Lord, those who depend on him for their faith and grace, they ain't got nothing to worry about. God's going to use these shakings to weed the church out. And he's going to bring out a whole lot of people from the apostate church who have a gift from God to walk with him. Jesus sent the disciples and the 70 out on a kind of the OJT or on-the-job training, didn't he? Luke chapter 10. And this is a, a, a kind of a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in our day in the beginning of the tribulation period. For we see in uh, Ecclesiastes 1 and 9, you know it well, that which hath been is that which shall be, and that which hath been done is that which shall be done. And there ain't no new thing under the sun. Folks, we're coming into a great time of grace when the Lord is going to show up. He's going to be manifested in his people. He's going to be Christ in you, the hope of glory, like it says in Colossians 1.27. Because his first fruits are going to be able to do the same things that Jesus did in raising up disciples and even sending forth two by two. And all this is going to be repeated. Folks, we're going to see great and wondrous things about to happen. Luke chapter 10 and verse 17, And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us by thy name, in thy name. 
Christianity, even the majority of God's elect, doesn't yet know that demons are subject to us, but the elect was going to know it soon. They're going to come and be led as disciples, and then they'll shake the world. Mark chapter 16 and verse 17 says, And these signs shall accompany them that believe in my name shall they cast out demons. So we have been given authority over demonic powers. And folks, it's a great thing to see people set free. But can we defend ourselves against these demons? Greater attacks and warfare are about to go forth against the saints. But God's people, those who walk in faith by his word, is not going to have anything to worry about. And it's real hard for fear and anxiety to come in once you are experienced in walking in his word. Because you see, he wants to prepare us for things to come. And the people who aren't prepared will be shocked. And they're going to be fearful. However, when they run to the Lord for refuge, God's going to teach them how to walk in peace and rest. Jesus explained to his disciples about the spirits being subject to them in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan fallen as lightning from heaven. <clears throat> verse 19, behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Nevertheless, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Then the disciples, they rejoiced that the demons were subject to him. Listen, serpents and scorpions, we talked about this last week, are two kinds of spirits over which the disciples were exercising authority. And under the, when you understand this, it has a lot of bearing on how to deal with that anxiety and fear. Because Jesus said in Luke 10 and 19, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. That means you can stomp on them and treat them, treat them with all kinds of insult and contempt. In other words, it means to exercise dominion over them, put them under your authority. Jesus made war against the demon powers, and he taught his disciples how to make war against those demon powers. Luke 11 and 20. But if I, by the finger of God, cast out demons, then is the kingdom of God come upon you. Satan don't cast out Satan. It's only the kingdom of God that gives deliverance from Satan and his demon. Because Jesus is stronger than the strong man, right? Let's go to Luke. 1121 now, when the strong man, fully armed, guards his own court, his goods are at peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he takes him from, he takes from him his whole armor, wherein he trusted and divides his spoils. Jesus conquered the devil and he gave us authority over him too. And then he passed on this authority over all the power of the enemy. To all his disciples. And just as he plundered the devil's kingdom. And divided the spoils. We're plundering the devil's kingdom. When we preach the gospel to somebody. And if they believe it. Then they're delivered out of the devil's kingdom. And into the kingdom of God. And the same things happen when we heal the sick. 
cast out demons, and on and on. That's the job we all have to do in plundering the devil's kingdom. Verse 23 in Luke 11, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathers not with me scatters. He ordained and raised us up. He wants every one of us to have a part in this. It don't make any difference where you are or what you're doing. Because we work for the kingdom of God and represent the king. We're ambassadors of Christ. We speak for him in this world. And we go forth to do everything that he did in this world. Jesus said Mark in Mark chapter 16 and verse 17. And these signs shall accompany them that believe. Folks, if you're a believer, you got a right to do all, every one of these things. It says, in my name shall they cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues and they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You got a right to the gifts of the spirit and you have a right to be doing the work of God. <clears throat> when Jesus said, in Luke 11 and 23, he that gathers not with me scatters. That word scatters in the Greek is the word scarpizo. And that means to penetrate and put to flight. And that's exactly what a scorpion does. It's a very, it's a, it's a small creature, but it's pretty scary. People knows what that pain and that trouble and that poison, uh, what can come from it. And as the Israelites were going into their promised land, God spoke to them several times that he would send a hornet ahead to drive their enemies out from before. Now, a hornet is another real small creature with a sting in its tail, just like the scorpion. The poison is in its tail, not in its head. And when it goes forth, it puts a lot of people in the flight too. Because God is using the hornet as an Old Testament type and shadow in the same way as he's using the scorpion here. That hornet and that scorpion both penetrate and put to flight. And that's why we're told to take up the shield of faith where you shall be able to quench all the fire darts of the evil one in Ephesians 6 and 16. We need that shield of, that shield of faith. Whenever we're attacked by these scorpion spirits because their job is to cause God's people to give up the battle and run from the face of the enemy. But our knowledge of the word of God gives us power over these spirits and understanding who we are in Christ and knowing that he has delivered us gives us power over them. But anxiety, fear, guilt, rejection, shame, and unbelief, all of those cause God's people to run from the real battle. And all these things cause them to not take up their sword of the spirit and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and on and on to conquer the enemy. Folks, if we're not with Jesus, we're against him. And if we're not gathering with him, then we're scattered. And if you're not plundering Satan's kingdom, he's plundering you. Folks, you can't have it both ways, just one way or the other. The Lord has given us the victory in Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice. We have been given the victory. He said in John chapter 16 and verse 33, These things have I spoken unto you that in me you may have peace. 
in the world you have tribulation, but be but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He conquered the devil, that evil. He conquered sin. He conquered the curse. He conquered sickness. He conquered it all at the cross. And he gave us authority and power over the devil. And that's a normal and natural for the wicked to run. They become anxious and fearful and moved by what they see and hear rather than what the word of God says. Proverbs 28 and 1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And we need to hold fast to that bold faith that the Lord has given to us so that we're not given in to anxiety and fear. But there are things such as unforgiveness, folks, that'll totally take away your defense against these spirits. Unforgiveness delivers a whole lot of God's people over to the power of demons. Jesus said in Matthew 18 and 34, And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due. So shall also my heavenly Father do unto you, if ye forgive not every one his brother from your hearts. If we don't forgive our brother from the heart, the Father's going to turn us over to the tormentors until we pay our own debt. So many of God's people don't realize they're laboring under these demons. They can't get the victory. They can't overcome. They have no confidence. They don't have a gift of faith, and they don't understand that it's because they have unforgiveness and bitterness and judgment against their brothers. Jesus is not a liar. He said the Father will turn you over to the tormentors when you don't forgive. And if we want to have boldness before God, we need a clean conscience. First John 3 and 21 says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have boldness toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Folks, we don't have to worry about a thing. We just ask and God answers. Because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. In other words, we have a clean conscience. That should put the fear of the Lord in you. Not the fear of anybody else, for the Lord is the only one that we have to please, right? First John 3.21 said, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have boldness toward God. If you want to be ready for the things that are coming, you need to get the full of the whole boldness of the Lord. Because you need to realize you're dealing with the enemy. That's the devil. He's going to send his big guns of fear and anxiety against us. And they're, they're the ones that are going to be leading the pack. And what happens is that people see or hear something, and then all of a sudden, there's old the devil. He's there to penetrate and to flight. He attacks your mind through fear and anxiety. But those thoughts aren't your thoughts. They're not coming from your mind. It's the devil trying to bring you down so that you'll be totally useless in this battle. We have to realize that giving in to fear or anxiety is actually a sin. A lot of times people think fear or anxiety is just a weakness in it. But the Bible says in Hebrews 3 and 12, Take heed, brethren, lest happily there shall be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief in falling away from the living God. And we're also told in Revelation 21 and 8, But for the fearful and unbelieving and abominable 
and murderers and fornicators and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. So thrown in with all the other sinners, one called fearful. Okay, you see that? Their parts shall be in the lake that burns with fire in brimstone, which is the second death. Folks, fear is sin. But uh, most people don't treat it that way. Instead, they pacify it. They give in to it. We know the Lord had given us a spirit of fear because the Bible says that fear is of the devil. It comes in order to manipulate us. And instead of acting in accord with what the word of God says, fear comes in in order to move us to react. The devil wants to put us to flight before him so that he can continue to plunder us. Folks, we need to be bold in our faith. And remember that we've been given authority over the devil in everything. Luke 10 and 19 again. Nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Does that word nothing actually mean what it says? Of course it does. But nothing shall in any wise hurt us is only effectual when you mix it with faith. Hebrews 4 and 2 says, But the word of hearing did not profit them. That's speaking of God's people. Because it was not united by faith with them that heard. The word was of no use because it wasn't mixed with faith in those that heard. We have been given dominion over anxiety and fear. And we know from God's word that these things are coming. Glory to God. Hebrews 12 and 25 says, See that you refuse not him that speaks. For if they escaped not when they refused him that warned them on earth, much more shall not we escape who turn away from him that warns from heaven? whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more will I make to tremble not the earth only, but also the heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of the things that have been made, that those things which are not shaken may remain. God's going to bring down this, this world through these great shakings, folks. Events are going to occur that we've never seen on this earth before. And for the wicked, what will be happening is fear of the devil, fear of the curse, fear of the things coming upon the world. And even though the hearts of men are literally going to fail him for fear, these events are going to put the fear of God in his elect. And I ain't saying they're going to have it all of a sudden at the beginning, but they're all going to be highly motivated, right? They're all going to understand what it is to serve the Lord. God's elect are going to have to, are going to have his patience and his peace in the middle of these shakings. And to have that, we need to be honest and call fear and anxiety what God in the Bible calls it, which is sin. You know, God has given us deliverance from them and we can count on it because God has delivered us from all sin. Hebrews 10 and 14 says, for by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And then John one twenty nine, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus took our took our sin away, and because of what he did, we don't have we don't have to put up with fear or anxiety. We need to be prepared for the things that are coming 
in order for us to partake of the peace of God in the midst of this great destruction that are coming real fast on this world. Now, it's a trick of the devil to show up with fear and anxiety whenever something happens, and we need to cast it down. We're children of the king. We're here for a purpose in him, not for the purpose of the world. And unlike the world, we don't have to take the penalty. Our Lord Jesus became cursed for us. He already bore the penalty. What is there for us to fear? Nothing. Because Philippians 4 and 6 says, In nothing be anxious. Some versions say careful, but the Greek word there is merimanao, and it means anxious. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And since we have such authority and promises, what is anxiety? Folks, it's unbelief. When we give in to the temptation of anxiety, it means we don't believe that the word's true. Because unbelief is sin. We need to see it as sin, and we need to treat it just like it is sin. Revelation 21 and 8 says, But for the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and fornicators and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part shall be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You wouldn't think of doing those other things, but do you consider fear and anxiety to be unbelief and therefore sin before the king, glory to God. Someone with fear and anxiety is not justified because they're not letting God be found true, but every man a liar as it is written, that thou might be justified in thy words and might prevail when thou come into judgment, Romans 3 and 4. And here it is again in Philippians 4 and 6, in nothing be anxious. And God says this because he's absolutely sovereign. And we don't have nothing to worry about. He's He's got it all under control. Now, let's take a closer look at Philippians in 4 and 1. Wherefore, my brethren, beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my beloved, and I exhort Euodia, and I exhort Sintash, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yeah, the Lord wants us to stand steadfast in him, unmoved by what we see or hear. Well, I... Like I said before, we're about to see and we're about to hear about horrendous things in going on in the world. And some are already happening even as we speak. But keep in mind that we're the ones he wants to teach. He wants us to learn that all of these promises are true for us. And he's got the good plan. And he don't want to destroy us. Philippians 4 and 2 said, I exhort Euodia and I exhort Sintice. To be of the same mind. Folks, there's a neat little revelation here that the Lord hid in the word just for us. Euodia means to be successful in reaching a goal or to succeed in reaching. And sentice means to meet with an accident. They're opposite names with opposite meanings. And sometimes you just walk in the success of the Lord, but sometimes you meet with what seems to be an accident. And he's telling us to be of the same mind. No matter which one you're going through. Now he said in Philippians 4 and 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therein to be content. 
we should be content because everything comes from the hand of God. John 3.27 And he wants you to trust in him. Philippians 4 and 2 says that I exhort Euodia and I exhort Sintice to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yea, I beseech thee also, true yoke fellow, help these women, for they believe, for they labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Both success and what we call accidents do labor with us in the gospel. They labor with us in their own life, helping us to bear fruit. <clears throat> and we learn that God wants us to be stable. And not moved by our emotions, by every wind of doctrine or by everything that happens in the world. Folks, he wants us to be stable, not blown around. God wants us to be steadfast <clears throat> in standing on his word, like standing on a rock, unmoved by success or failure. Philippians 4 and 3 says, Help these women, for they labored with me in the gospel and with Clement also. Clement means merciful. With those who will have mercy towards others and be forgiving, God will show himself the same way. We can do much harm to ourselves in the way that we relate to others. Matthew eighteen thirty four, And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due. So shall also my heavenly Father do unto you if you forgive not every one of his brother from your hearts. We need to be merciful. Otherwise, he's going to turn us over to the tormentors. Philippians 4 and 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your forbearance be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, folks, he's even so much more at hand today. Philippians 4 and 6 again, In nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. You don't need to worry about a thing. Just put them right, put all your requests before God. Remember what he said in Mark eleven twenty four: All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them and you shall have them. Are you going to be anxious? Are you going to, to uh, believe? Folks, anxiety is sin against God because it's totally against faith. And we should cast down anxiety immediately. Revelation 21 and 8. But for the fearful and unbelieving, their part shall be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. <clears throat> you can put up that field shield of faith. Quench that fire dark. You don't have to let the scorpizo, the scattering demons, penetrate. And put to flight your heart and life. A whole lot of folks out there are not acting on the word. Instead, they're reacting to what the devil's doing. And if you're not ruled by faith, you're going to be ruled by fear. I can tell you that. Luke eleven twenty three. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathers not with me scatters. So if you want to be moved and ruled by the Lord, then remember that being ruled by fear is sin. And after disaster strikes, anxiety and fear come immediately into people's hearts. And that's the devil seeking to bring them into bondage. Fear or anxiety has to be, has to, must be cast down immediately. Philippians 4 and 7, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, 
shall guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. And what we need is the peace of God in the midst of turmoil. And when the world looks at you, they're going to wonder why that you are at peace. Isaiah 26 and 3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace. His mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Glory to God. Keep your mind on what God has taught you. Cast down everything else that the devil fires your way. And God will keep you in perfect peace while other people are falling apart. And those people that are falling apart are going to be going one way, but you'll be going another way. And if you react to the devil by allowing him to herd you in the direction he wants you to go, it proves that you're one of his pack. Romans 6 and 16 says, Know ye not that to whom you present yourselves as servants unto obedience, his servants you are whom you obey, whether you, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. If you follow him, guess what? You're one of his. Listen, folks, there's nothing that comes into your life by accident. These wilderness tribulations and trials through which we're going are from the Lord, and he has absolute control over them. Otherwise, how can he say in Philippians 4 and 6, and nothing be anxious? And 8 and 28 of Romans, all things work together for good. He can say these things because he is in absolute control. And you can trust him. You can rest in his promises. So don't let anxiety or fear affect you in any way. Cast them down. And remember that God said in Isaiah 26 and 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. His mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Christ Jesus is the truth. He's the word of God. And we want to believe and remember the good report. Philippians 4 and 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. It don't make a bit of difference in the world what happens around us. We have to hold fast to the good report. And when the Israelites were moved by fear and anxiety, they cried out to the Lord. Exodus 16, 3. We have brought us forth, ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly. Folks, that was so stupid. You can only think that away when you're under the dominion of fear and anxiety. The Lord didn't bring us here to to fail. He brought us here to teach us to be sons of God. And we will be sons of God if we'll keep our mind upon him, the word of God, and the good report. God's first people listened to the bad report. And from the, remember the 10 spies that came back who didn't have any faith in God? They believed that they, they could not conquer that land or those people, those giants, all of which actually represented their old flesh. Philippians 4 and 8 says, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Refuse to think on things that are going to destroy you or to cause you to be manipulated. Refuse reports that would cause you to be herded before the demons of the devils so that you would partake of their curse. 
Philippians 4, 9, the things which you both learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do. And Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. When you see people who are following the Lord and setting a good example, pay attention to their witness and testimony. And if others don't have that fruit, then don't pay any attention to them. A lot of people are just speaking from their theology and they don't have any kind of an experience whatsoever because they haven't walked with God by faith. They're leading God's people into Babylon. Philippians 4 and 9, the things which you both learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do. And the God of peace shall be with you. And that's what we desire, to walk in the peace of God. Isaiah 26 and 3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. If we permit the devil to penetrate our defenses, our shield of faith in the word of God, if we let the fire dart, the stinger, come through our defense, then you're going to be overcome by your emotions. You're going to be doing what the world does, and you're going to fall under the judgment of the world. And that's exactly what the Israelites did in the wilderness wilderness when they fell under the judgment of the world and under the curse of Deuteronomy 28. Instead of overcoming and entering into the promised land like Joshua and Caleb did, they died in the wilderness. Numbers 14, so it said, but I am persuaded of better things of you, said Paul in Hebrews 6 and 9, then 2 Timothy 1 and 12, for I know him whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to guard that which I have committed unto him against that day. In other words, I am persuaded that the Lord is able to keep you and to bring you through these troubling times in boldness and in courage. 1 John 3.21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have boldness toward God. Don't let there be anything in your heart that's going to hinder you because you're you're being obedient to God. Make sure that nothing in your heart will separate you from that boldness that God gives to those who are obedient. Philippians 4 and 9 says, The things which you both learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do, and the God of peace shall be with you. We're heading toward a wilderness trial, folks, and one thing you see in the wilderness trial is that the Lord allows his people to experience light to see what they would do. He suffered the Israelites to be tried so that he would see how they would react. In all these places that the Lord led his people in the wilderness, it was from one trial to the next in order to see lack ahead of them. Number 14, it says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would that we had died in the hand of Egypt, in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? <coughs> Excuse me. And wherefore doth the Lord bring us into this land to be, to fall by the sword? They had a lot of opportunities to be penetrated by fear and anxiety and run in the opposite direction of, of God. This wilderness trial gave them the chances to cry out in unbelief and to accuse God of things that he had no mind to do. They even accused God of 
wanting to kill them. And they finally did convince God of that. They convinced him because that was actually what they needed. It was their fault. Number 1428, say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord, surely as you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your dead body shall fall in this wilderness. They had faith for death, and he gave it to them. Because in Matthew 9 and 29, it says, according to your faith, be it done unto you. Anxiety and fear are faith too, but they are negative faith. Their faith in the curse and the devil, and that's where your faith is. That's what God will let you have. But if you believe what he says, you'll get the gifts of faith and boldness that he provides. Some of you might not believe there's anything but peace and prosperity to come to God's people. And if so, you're missing history. And you need to read the Bible again because God's people went through fiery trials all the time. Matthew 24 9 says, Then shall they deliver you up into tribulation, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all the nations for my name's sake. And most of you have probably never gone through being hated. But none of us have gone through what we're about to see. The hatred of the whole world is about to come against Christianity. And just like it was with Israel, the Lord is raising up a very big enemy against his small group of elect. Well, why? The Lord is doing all this to show himself strong on behalf of them that have put their faith and trust in him. Jesus told us about the provisions that he was going to make available. You see, even though the Lord is going to take a lot of worldly provisions away from his people in the days to come, he's still going to provide for his people, but their provision will be coming from heaven. Now, let's look at a passage of scripture where Jesus mentioned six times the Greek word for anxiety. And that's the same word that's used in this text. Philippians 4 and 6, And nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be not made known unto God. His people worried a lot about how to provide the things that they needed in order to be able to live in the wilderness. Matthew 6 and 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth consume and where thieves do not break through nor steal. How come God's people feel like they need to stock up things for the future? Well, it's because their confidence is not in what God promised. Their confidence is in what they store up. Matthew 6 and 21, For where thy treasure is, there will be thy heart also. That means that your heart will be where your treasure of future provision is stored. Matthew 6 and 22, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Folks, an eye that is single is not an eye that is set upon its own provision. It's not set upon things stored up for the purpose of saving self in the days to come. Verse 23, But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light is in thee be darkness, how great is thy darkness? An eye that is dark has got its confidence in the things of the world. 
And I'm going to prove that to you as we read on. 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. What's Jesus talking about when he says two masters? You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammonus is the common Aramaic word for riches, confidence, or that which is trusted in. And it comes from an Aramaic word, matmon, meaning hidden treasures. The word mammon here in Matthew 6 represents trusting in worldly treasures that are stored up or hidden. In other words, mammon means trusting in things of the world to provide salvation to us. And when the Israelites came out of Egypt, God permitted them to have something that they trusted in, gold and silver. And it was given into their hands by the Egyptians who in type represented the world. God wanted them to be tried in this way. He was the one who permitted them to go out of Egypt with gold and silver. However, his plan was to try them to see if they would be faithful. Well, they weren't. They made an idol out of that stored up gold to preserve them through wilderness trials. But God's plan from the beginning was that he would meet their needs out of heaven. And he just had to get that gold out of the way first, and he did. Exodus 32 and 20, and he, then that's speaking of Moses, took the calf which they had made, burned it with fire, ground it to powder, and strode it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Now, people today are doing the same thing. They're storing up for times to come because they too don't believe the word of God. They don't believe in Philippians 4 and 19, and my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. They're anxious, troubled, and fearful because they trust in mammon. And that's the eye that is evil, not single. And let's see if Jesus confirms this. And Look in Matthew 6 and 25. Therefore I say unto you, be not anxious. Now, this is the first of six anxious mentions, and it's the same word, marimneo, found here. Philippians 4 and 6. In nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. You don't have to worry about these things. We don't have to rely on our own strength or our own preparations to preserve ourselves through the days that are coming. And I know that many people claim to have received words from the Lord about storing up, but I also know we're coming to a time when God wants to prove his power to save us by signs and wonders and miracles, not by the worldly methods of man. God's provisions came out of heaven to God's people when they were in the wilderness. He didn't want them to be anxious. And he didn't want them to be fearful. He wanted them to trust in his provisions. So he ran them out of food and water and everything that they had provided for themselves when they came out of Egypt. Then he provided for them by giving them water out of a rock, Lord of God, manna out of heaven and quail out of the sky. Folks, we're coming to this same time in history, except this time it's going to be for the church. Once again, God is going to provide for those who believe. Matthew 6 and 25 says, Therefore, I say unto you, be not anxious for your life, 
what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than the food and the body than the raiment? Behold, the birds of the heavens that they sow not, neither do they reap, neither nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. And if you couldn't provide for yourself when the economy goes down and paid work stops, don't you think God's going to provide for you? He will if you walk by faith. You know, when we read that they sow not, is God teaching that you don't need to work for a living? No, because God's word says in Second Thessalonians 3 and 10, if any still will not work, neither let him eat. There's going to be a great exchange in these days because God's people are going to finally wake up and take the great commission seriously. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 11 and verse 43? He that gathers not with me scatters. The Lord wants us gathered along with him. He raises up disciples to do his work of the Great Commission. And if you're not working for the world, you can work for him. Even the birds and the flowers work for him. But they don't toil in the world. And God still feeds the birds and clothes the flowers, don't it? Matthew 6 and 26 says, Behold the birds of the heaven that they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. They're not storing up their treasures, are they? But their food still comes. And your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not ye of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, that, that's the word, Maram, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble pronouncing that word. Anxious, that's what it means. Mentioned the second time, can add one cubit unto the measure of his life. Anxiety does nothing but destroy you physically, mentally, and emotionally. It tears down immunity and brings sickness. Anxiety does nothing positive. Faith can overcome anything, but anxiety can do nothing except bring you harm, bring you down. Matthew 6 and 28. And why are you anxious? That's the third time it's mentioned concerning raiment. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God does so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Lord's going to take care of his, of his through this coming time, don't you know? Some of you are going to lose your jobs that you prize so much and maybe your high standard of living. But you're going to change your attitude towards the world and the things of the world. You'll have the same attitude as those disciples had in Jesus' days when Christians were plundered and they couldn't do business with the world. They were in a wilderness, yet the Lord provided for them because they put their trust in him. Matthew 6 and 31. Be not therefore anxious. That's the fourth time. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? And why does Jesus keep mentioning anxious? It's because he understood the carnal nature and the trials that were coming for the Jewish Christians in those days. They were going into the tribulation. And Jesus spoke this in the beginning of the first two and a half years of their tribulation. 
He knew what they were going to go through and what we're going to go through. In the days to come, that's going to be the same thing. Folks, there's a great collapse coming. But God has made this promise that he's going to provide for his people. So don't give in to anxiety and fear because God is your Jehovah Jireh. And he's going to provide for you and everything. He wants to show you his glory. He wants to show you his power. So don't be fearful. Matthew 6 and 31. Be not therefore anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now the Gentiles were the heathen at that time. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. He already knows what you need. You don't got to worry about or beg for those things. You don't have to spend hours on your knees either. 33, but seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Be not therefore anxious. That's the fifth mention right there. For the morrow, for the morrow will be anxious. There it is, number six. For itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And all you have to do, folks, is like it says in Philippians 4 and 6, in nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made, be made known unto God. You ain't going to be heard for you much speaking, it says in Matthew 6 and 7. So don't be fearful or anxious because of what you see or what you hear. Even when it may appear that you're coming to the end of your own provision. You need to be at the end of your provision so that you can receive God's provision. He wants to show you a bunch of miracles, folks. Matthew 6 and 33 says, But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God's seeking to build his kingdom in your life and in those around you. And when you seek first his kingdom, he's going to make sure that you have everything that you need. And you're not going to have a love of the world because the love of the world is sin, says First John 2 and 15. But there's going to be an overwhelming number of Christians that have a problem with love of the world. They're even taught to love the material prosperity of the world in their prosperity-minded churches instead of seeking for the prosperity of the body of Christ. John, Third uh, John 1 and 2 says, Beloved, I pray that in all things you may prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prosper. The prosperity-minded have to have the things of the world, folks. Matthew 6 and 34. Be not therefore anxious for the morrow, for the morrow will be anxious for itself. We're not supposed to be anxious about our provision and our needs because God is going to take care of all of that for us. He said sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Remember that command by Jesus. You don't have to be fearful. The Lord is going to take care of it. He, he said in Luke 12 and 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Glory to God. It's his pleasure to care for us. There ain't no need to be worried or anxious about how to serve God or what to do in this world. Luke ten thirty eight says, Now as they went on their way, he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. 
And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and heard his word. But Martha was coming about much serving, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister did leave me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. But the Lord answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, for Mary hath chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. The one important thing we need to do is just sit at the Lord's feet and listen to him. And I praise God for his word that delivers all our needs through him. Thank you, Father, for being a God that provides everything that we ever are going to need in the days to come and giving us great and bold faith to believe that all we have to do is believe what the word of God says. All the promises in there are to take care of us. And all we have to do is to trust you, Father. And I thank you, Lord, that we do in Jesus' name. All right, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you next time. God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Purest water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus. I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. I trust in you. darkest night what will be my guiding light the shining rays of red and white Jesus I trust in you oh, sacred heart in you I find mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine oh Jesus I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus.
ます。